Welcome to another installment of Evolution Exchange Podcast. Today I'm joined by Rickard, Alexandra and Brian to discuss the leadership, how to get the best out of your tech teams. Before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around with some introductions. So Rickard, why don't you kick us off? Yeah, hi Luxe and uh, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is uh, Rickard Furberg. Uh, I'm the engineering manager for a company called Sindis. I've uh, been doing this at Sindis for uh, two months now, uh, and before that, uh, about six, five or six years, all in all. Uh, right now, I'm managing a team of uh, about 10 people, all engineers, and we're looking to expand uh, to about uh, 20 maybe in a year or so. So we're expanding pretty fast. Amazing, thank you. Yep. And Boyan. Hi, Alexey, and uh, pleasure having me on the uh, podcast. So I'm Boyan Dimovsky. Uh, I work as an engineering manager in SEBEX, which is the innovation lab of the SCB Bank in Stockholm, Sweden. Uh, I joined SEBEX uh, last September, and um, I joined as an architect and currently managing the financing uh, domain uh, as an engineering manager of uh, a growing team. Uh, I would say we just started uh, recruiting, but it's a mix of consultants and employees. So start off uh, four to six people and then growing uh, going forward. Amazing. And finally, Alexandra. Yeah. Um, hello, everyone. Uh, really excited to be here. Thanks for the invite, uh, Luxi. Uh, my name is Alexandra and uh, I work as a product manager at North Mill. Um, a little bit about Northmill. Northmill is a neobank established in Sweden uh, with around 200,000 banking customers and around 2,000 merchants. Uh, we operate in four countries and uh, we have a revenue of around uh, half a billion Swedish crowns. Um, we have offerings spreading between payments, loans, uh, savings, and since early this year, a whole B2B business, uh, which is very exciting. Um, we are kicking it off right now. Um, approximately 160 employees, uh, 50% working with tech and product, uh, 100% cloud-based, and the first Swedish uh, bank uh, based, uh, born in cloud and based 100% in cloud. Um, and when it comes to product teams, we currently have four product teams at the company, uh, payments, uh, core, uh, lending team, and uh, our uh, newly established B2B team for our point of sales systems. And I am leading the landing team. Uh, we are a team of product people and developers responsible for different credit granting products uh, across the Nordics. And I've been uh, at the company for almost a year. Um, myself, I have a background in finance, sales, marketing and tech. Amazing, thank you. So now that we have established a context of each of you, um, let's move on to the topic. Um, so you'll all have a question or a statement on leadership, how to get the best out of your tech teams. So I'll work around the room asking each of you to pose your question and the reason behind it. Each of you will have the opportunity to give or take on the situation. So let's start with Alexandra. Yeah, great. So uh, when it comes to uh, teams productivity, um, I like to think of it on three different dimensions. First, um, how product leadership style can contribute to perform better. Second, uh, how you as a leader should build your teams uh, in order to get the best out of them. And last uh, but not least, how we can learn from failure in practice and uh, improve quickly. So starting with the first one, um, from my experience, the best developers do not want to work on something that does not create value. And what they want is to solve interesting problems, uh, both from technical and uh, business perspective. And in the best of the worlds, uh, you engage the team in the ideation process. But there can be reasons for not doing it and um, can be, for example, because there's no need for that many people in that phase or developers are simply not interested and uh, want to focus on actual development. However, um, it is very important to always make sure to communicate uh, what impact we're trying to achieve uh, with the particular feature or A-B test. Um, you probably heard of the Y principle. So always when we're about to build something, we want everyone in the team to have the ground understanding of what we want to achieve. 
and that helps to engage and involve people on totally different level um, and the long-term impact of that is higher productivity and uh, also lower employee churn so i'll be curious to hear what you guys think of it so Ricard, maybe do you have any experiences uh, from from your side yeah about <laughs> It's it's a really big question and it sort of uh, tends to work differently depending on what you're working on and what kind of teams you have and products and all that. But uh, what I what I've seen uh, during my years is that you need to keep the the engineers close to the product, like really close, um, because uh, I've struggled or. I, I've been through a lot of expansions uh, in my leadership and sort of uh, I'll come to that in my question later, but to, to keep the interest and productivity, you need to maintain uh, the engineers, the ownership of the main engineers throughout the expansion or whatever kind of change you're going through. So if you can keep them closer to, to the product, that will be, you, you have a lot of free of that. If you know what I mean? Mm, yeah. So just keep them close uh, in the organization, uh, no matter how, how you change the organization or how, or how you set it up, uh, uh, keep them close because it's a really creative profession. You don't want people to just uh, uh, sort of develop uh, f from orders above. They need, they need to be close to, to when, whenever you, uh, the ideation process, as, as you mentioned. Mm. So, so keep them there. That's my, uh, that's my tip for that. But uh, I actually struggled with that also. Mm. So it's a really, really interesting question. Yeah, and I really like what you said about like really utilizing their knowledge and their point of view in, you know, like building products um, and not only uh, bringing them in execution. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah, Dimoski, you... you... Uh, yeah, just wanted to follow up on uh, what Ricard said because uh, the the performance of the team has tends to to increase when they have the sense of ownership of the product and guiding uh, or contributing as much as they can closely to the product so uh, often i have or many times i have heard the question oh but uh, how is my work actually improving the product i want to be closer to the users getting the feedback of the users uh, in one of my previous companies we actually had the engineers sit close to the call centers and um, uh, pair up with them. So it was a fun experience when they were listening on all the pain points and all the uh, struggles that we as engineers assume and take for granted that users should just do them. But listening to them firsthand uh, actually was a good insights on how you can, uh, your work and yourself can contribute to the product development and make a better, uh, better outcome for everyone. So definitely being uh, responsible and owning the uh, product outcome is important for, for the engineers to uh, be productive uh, in their, their area. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, Ricard, you were about to say uh, something. <laughs> yeah, but really I second that. Uh, to, um, one really important thing is to have the engineers understanding the product, which means uh, have them use it if that's possible or have them sit close to the people that are using them, the users or whoever. That will make them uh, uh, know the product and come up with ideas and know what kind of ideas uh, that doesn't work and work and all that. So that's super, super important. Really, really good tip uh, there. Yeah. Yeah, all right. And then uh, moving on to the second part, uh, more on um, how we should structure the team uh, and something that I always uh, reflect a lot and uh, try to find the most um, sustainable model for where we are uh, heading. And so to start with, like there are plenty of books um, advocating for the TRIO model. And I think it's a fantastic model. Um, however, from my experience, sometimes we end up implementing this model when the organization is not ready for it. For example, when a team is newly formed and haven't yet developed strong relationships, both inside the team and uh, with the rest of the organization and management. Um, in that case, uh, the so-called ideal autonomous product team model can be difficult to achieve um, as there isn't enough trust from everyone involved. And uh, there are a couple of things you can do in order to stay productive. For example, um, increase the level of trust through upskilling the team and giving the team more autonomy. And as a result, implementing the TRIO model. 
or an alternative could be implementing a hybrid organizational model that will be efficient uh, for the times where your product organization is now. So what I believe uh, is important is to try to avoid the situation where the form um, and in that in that way, like the structure of the team outgrows the the content that you actually that, that you do. So in that case, what your goals or that what your goals that you want to achieve are. And another reason uh, for that could be uh, that this model is simply not appropriate temporarily. Uh, from the perspective of what you want to achieve and get me you know, just like a temporary, you know, goals or like, yeah, basically like, you know, the, the, the whole process uh, of development of the product, you know, it's not just, it just there, it doesn't, uh, doesn't really work. And to give you an example, um, approximately half a year ago, we identified that there are plenty of initiatives that have high business value uh, that we validated. Um, that we want to execute on, um, sort of must-dos, um, and these were across different product teams. And what we did not have was the capacity to execute on them. And then uh, you can ask yourself, well, shouldn't you just prioritize better than? Uh, well, could be, but what we actually did instead uh, was taking a leap of faith or something completely different, and we established um, new team consisting of developers taken from these different teams that the activities concerned and we called this team uh, getting stuff done um, with the assumption that this solution uh, will help us achieve what we need faster and more sustainable way and you know like in you could think it's um it may that maybe it's not efficient because the team needs to you know like still learn how to work together but um afterwards um we have a pretty pretty firm uh, belief that it did uh, work for us uh, because we achieved our targets within a time span that we, uh, we wanted to. Um, so to sum it up, everything I just said, um, I believe it is uh, always uh, just you really need to take into account the current state and current goals as a reference point to decide upon which structure uh, you should choose for your product organization. Yeah. So, Rikat, do you do you have anything to say? <laughs> um, <laughs> sure. Yeah, well, the one thing that I, I, I tend to think about uh, regarding structuring teams, it's uh, don't be afraid to sort of take a step back and review the past uh, period of time. Uh, would it be a week or a month or a year? Don't 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 be afraid to change it up because uh, you can have one idea how to structure a team uh, based on sort of a six months or one year plan ahead, but you need to go back and see if it really works. Don't sort of st stick to it for too long because uh, you can guess and you can read all the books you want, but uh, how does it really work? Uh, how effective are you? Uh, what's the output? So uh, uh, yeah, don't don't be afraid to change things up or, or, or try another model or whatever, because the, I have, I've uh, had to do that a few times and uh, yeah, that's my sort of uh, uh, tip for anyone who's going to try this, because it's a really, really hard task to 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 structure a team. Uh, it doesn't really work if, if it works on, uh, on one place. Uh, it's no guarantee for it to work in another place, even if it's a similar uh, uh, business or whatever. So uh, I've done that a few times, just to step back, see, see how, how it works. Ask the teams, ask, ask the management, uh, how, how does it work? How do you want to work? Yeah. And yeah, from, from my view, um, the uh, well, what you have to accept is the fact that uh, all organizations are uh, a living organism. They they change and they evolve. So the team structure should definitely reflect that. Uh, especially working in the tech industry, uh, it's not only the the organizations that are evolving, but they have to keep track of the technology. And I believe that the, the tech stack is always rapidly changing the, the landscape of the type of teams. I mean, just looking at the DevOps example, the DevOps culture didn't even exist uh, as a term uh, a couple of years ago. And that has uh, completely re-shifted re, uh, the way we uh, organize uh, work and teams. So considering all those many moving variables, 
I do tend to believe and seen it in practice that um, we need to find, as uh, Ricard pointed out, the right model for the right situation. And uh, we should definitely consider uh, the, the people first because uh, the same team setup uh, not only doesn't work in another place, it wouldn't even work in the same company with another set of people. So uh, I've been part of a company that did two reorganizations within uh, the time span of two years. Every organization it was from uh, verticals to horizontals to, to autonomous teams. Uh, it didn't end well, basically lots of uh, levers, uh, because we do think that uh, restructuring the teams actually solves uh, problems that uh, are not only uh, part of the of the team uh, positioning, but rather uh, there are some more uh, uh, substantial problems in terms of how the overall systems are organized. Uh, that will not just get away when you reshuffle people people around. And uh, in, in hindsight, it's always important to, to uh, understand the fact that, yeah, at a given point of time in the past, a decision was taken. Uh, often it's a conscious decision on how to structure things. And uh, given the circumstances at that point of time, probably it made a lot of sense. Uh, did we learn from it? Yes, probably. But um, going back in time, uh, given the circumstances, we probably will make the, the same decision. So uh, being a, an architect by, by trade, uh, there's a like, famous saying that your first architectural decision is how you structure the teams. So it's very important to reflect on, on, on that fact that, okay, we've organized in one way, but our organization, our system, our solution, architecture, uh, the needs from the clients and the uh, seniority of our personnel do tend to change over time. And we as leaders are responsible to recognize that and definitely act upon it. Uh, it's too, too easy to just say or get away with the fact that, oh, I mean, we do have progress, uh, as an overall organization look, uh, looked upon as an average. But um, yeah, we can always keep improving and uh, creating new breakthroughs uh, if we adapt the teams uh, depending on the circumstances at that point of time. Mm, yeah, very interesting. Yeah, I think that the whole like aspect of not being afraid to change the setup and, you know, having this sort of mindset in management and uh, you know, having this like basically lacking the prestige within management team um, and not uh, being afraid of like um, yeah, jumping on someone's uh, someone else's decision that, as you mentioned, uh, was taken in other circumstances. I think it's extremely important and really reviewing, continuously reviewing what's best for your current setup. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, I mean, it's like uh, uh, when you're working on a on a project on a product, uh, you have uh, recurring uh, retrospectives. Uh, you can have that uh, on all levels in an organization, and this is one that you really should have it. Have a retrospective on on the the team structure. Really recommend it. Yeah, I agree. And actually, that's touching upon on my third point that I'd like to emphasize. Uh, and this is actual learning from from like what you've achieved and learning from from failure, and from uh, from the experience of what I've heard and seen from on like from different companies. Um, the, the the word um, we embrace failure. Failure is a good thing. We have a safe space to fail. Um, I feel uh, very often that it's overused, um, and I think it's much easier said than done. And it's not because these companies um, aren't serious about these things, um, but because we end up lying to ourselves and instead of recognizing that something was a failure, we redefine what success looks like. Um, and I think the main way to avoid this is to be upfront about what the goal is and uh, where we draw the line between success and failure. Mm. And also it's important uh, to be uh, clear upfront about by when we should achieve that um, and then review everything. Um, and that way we can be much more objective about um, the actual outcome of um, the decision that has been made. And yeah, so like from what I've seen and what I experienced, what I've what I like uh, yeah, seen around in different companies, like the main challenge with learning from a failure is actually recognizing that we failed. And learning um it's much more straightforward. And it was very interesting what she said about um uh, 
being like, putting the retrospective um, among uh, management and doing it uh, to review um, how do we perform when it comes to the team structure. Um, yeah, and I do believe that uh, it a lot comes down to having healthy, blame-free retrospectives uh, where we seriously consider where we went wrong and what we could do better for the next time. So any one of you, any any more reflections on learning from failure? It's a tricky balance, I have to say. I mean, uh, companies tend to be either on the too positive or too um, mediocre side on uh, reflecting the feedback. Uh, and I have to say, giving negative feedback is always difficult when you are the manager or the leader. And um, we do tend to take shortcuts by saying, oh, but it's a team failure or yes, we uh, next time we'll do better. But sometimes uh, we should embrace the fact that uh, we set a goal. Uh, the goal was not achieved, uh, but uh, we recognize that. So uh, looking uh, looking forward, we should learn from it. And uh, but we shouldn't avoid the communication. I mean, just a question both for Alexander and Ricard. I mean, uh, how difficult has it been for you to to relay the negative feedback uh, directly or or to a group? Mm. Yeah, it's yeah. never a never a good thing. Uh, what I've done is I've educated myself, uh, taking courses in feedback, and then educated uh, the teams in uh, leaving feedback, both positive and and constructive and negative feedback to each other. And I worked with that for. With the team for a year, uh, and after that, it, re it really paid off. But it's a really, really hard work. Uh, and one another thing we did uh, when I was at uh, uh, Bonnier News in in Sweden, a, a big media house, uh, we're a super large tech organization with hundreds and hundreds of uh, people uh, spread out through a lot of uh, different products and brands. And we, ha we had uh, four times a year a best of uh, demo when everyone got together and sort of uh, what did you do uh, since last time uh, bragged about uh, stuff that happened and the uh, features we built. And one, uh, I was in the group that uh, planned this and one time we changed it up to worst of demo. So everyone had to sort of show off the, the, big mo the, the biggest failure they did. And that was really good because uh, then sort of um, showed that it was okay for everyone to fail. It was uh, every, everything from a, a small thing that to like a huge super failure. So uh, that, that I can really recommend that in, a, in a, an organization. Uh, just to follow up on that, uh, it rings a bell in one of the companies. We had a, a company value called Be Human, and it had a similar category like every other week. There was, okay, uh, this person uh, had this human error because we are still humans. Uh, regardless of the safety checks we put in place, we do tend to uh, make an uh, unconscious error. So there was a category and a company value that embraced that culture. We are human, we recognize the fact uh, mistakes will happen, our responsibility is to learn from them. So yeah, the, another way to, to handle uh, the, the humanity. Yeah, and uh, a key point here is to have clear goals and KPIs before you even start. That's really, really important because otherwise you fail and you don't really know why. So that, that that's a main thing in the beginning of a project. Yeah. Uh, sorry, on the topic of the KPI, uh, it was an interesting case where I was working from Macedonia. We were a remote office to a UK-based company. Uh, and uh, as a manager, you were continuously being asked, oh, but why do we have to come to the office? And this was like a couple of years ago, pre-COVID times where people wanted to have flexible hours, flexible uh, even uh, working space. So, uh, and a peculiar fact was that uh, when we asked them to work strict hours uh, in the office, uh, we saw some, uh, I would say, uh, average results. But when we shifted the responsibility saying, okay, you will be the ones that commit to a delivery or a date, and then you're free, but you're empowered at the same time you are uh, held responsible for your, for your uh, deliveries, actually the deliveries uh, improved and uh, the punctuality improved as well. So uh, given the freedom, uh, but at the same time uh, the ownership, uh, we saw some better results. Uh, yes, there were some uh, heads being turned, but we could, we could have always justified our, our decisions to our upper management uh, saying, but yes, the results are there, it might be unconventional, uh, but yeah, uh, at least, uh, and this uh, this relates to the topic Alexandra mentioned. Uh, people are closer to the product, and they are they feel um, as their own uh, as their implementation makes difference, 
at the same time uh, building it in their own productive hours. And this was about five or six years ago. So it was rather a, a drastic uh, change uh, at that point. But I think that what we're seeing today is that it's becoming the more and more seen norm uh, in companies. Yeah, and I really love what you said about uh, own productive hours, because like I think that it's extremely important for every person, every team uh, member to realize which hours are these hours. And because we are forced, you know, working from eight to six and like people are so different. I know I have so many colleagues who are like uh, the uh, night owls and and they, they love working late and they like they like to, you know, take the time to to to, <laughs> to sleep in <laughs> in the morning uh, and and like there's nothing wrong with their performance. So, yeah, I'm really happy of, of the world uh, sort of restructuring and, and giving us more flexibility on that. All right. Um, so I am, uh, that's all for my part. Um, yeah, looking forward to hear what you have for today. Amazing. Thank you, Alexandra. And so Rickard, uh, moving on to your question. Yes, uh, thanks, Alexandra. Uh, really uh, interesting questions. Uh, I, I have one main question, but I have sort of three questions that I'd like to discuss with you. Well, I'm going to, I have uh, sort of relates to my current situation. Uh, how do you keep people from uh, uh, from working, from leaving, uh, when working in an organization that it's starting as a startup, sort of, it's small and it's fun and it's everything is uh, so fast, and, it, and you expand and it sort of gets large and all these uh, processes with HR and um, new roles like uh, product management and product owners and everything uh, gets put in. So how do you sort of keep people there and keep the feeling of startup and the small smallishness if you know what i mean uh, that that's something that i've uh, struggled with and uh, um, i've talked to a lot of uh, people about this and it's not a real it's not an easy task absolutely not um, and then i want to talk about culture uh, how do you build a culture that's both strong and attracts a diverse mix of personalities because uh, a strong culture is not any uh, it's not a hard to build if you have a homogenous uh, group of people like 10 people that is, everyone is the same then a strong culture is there from the beginning but how do you build that sort of culture with a lot of different people and also how do you best take on a new team as their manager what's the do's and don'ts that's my uh, this is my three subjects for today but i'll start with the first one um what i've done uh, so far i've been in in uh, two situations uh when we go from a small team to a large team for different reasons. And what I've come to the conclusion of is, as I've mentioned uh, at the beginning uh, on, on your first uh, subject, Alexandra, uh, keep them, try to keep them close to the product. Don't, don't lose the ownership because that's super easy when you're uh, injecting all these uh, kind of roles around the products and the work. If, uh, suddenly you have a product manager, you have a product leader, you have everything like that. And all these kind of uh, roles are taken out of the team. So the, te the only thing the team have left is just coding. And that's kind of, you sort of tend to lose these people. And then you have to rehire and rehire and rehire. Uh, so you, you want to have that still in the team. So what I've, what I've done is to make, make, ask them kindly to sit together don't move them out of uh, that room or that part of the office. Everyone sits together and work together all the time because that's how you sort of keep uh, this, the sense of a team and the ownership of a product. So if you hire a, a really skilled product manager and a, a product owner, because that's what you have to do uh, at some point if you're going to expand and take the product to the next level, uh, have them sit by the team as one of them. Don't don't keep them away from from the engineers. Uh, don't separate people. Don't separate design uh, and data analysts and uh, such. Uh, so that's one thing I've worked with that I think works pretty well. Uh, but I really I really like to hear uh, uh, your side of the of this, uh, Alexandra. Yeah, uh, very interesting, and I, I, I really, I really agree uh, on what what you said about like keeping uh, people close to the product and really like trying not to 
destroy this relationship that they already built uh, with product. Uh, another uh, way of retaining uh, people um, with while the organization is growing is uh, make sure to show them um, like the new circumstances uh, of of the of the organization in a positive way and show them how they can grow while the organization is growing and you know like all the perks and all the benefits that they can get um, out of it and uh, make sure they have a clear development plan established that they uh, you know maybe in the startup the startup um, like a very small startup no one really cares about you know development plans like everyone does everything uh, it's awesome but uh, I believe that we still have plenty of uh, great characteristics of um, of a growth uh, growth scaling up company that we can leverage in order to retain um, our our people and of course like it's like rehire it's a total uh, like as you said it's a waste um it takes so much time uh, from both uh, uh, us uh, to, to to hire new people but also onboarding and like uh, it takes um, we measured approximately it can it, it varies but it, it can take up to six months for a person to actually onboard and and be productive and also like settle down in the team um, but uh, first like the whole productivity so the cost is uh, tremendous so like really emphasizing what we are delivering um, to the person with the new team setup yeah uh, and Bojan uh yeah, I mean, uh, what we should be aware of is, that, I mean, organizations have to be aware of the fact that um, it uh, the growth has to be controlled. I mean, we can't have uncontrolled growth, uh, even though the budget is allocated and the, the investors are happy with the results. It has to be a controlled growth on how we scale the organization, uh, most crucially around the topic you record mentioned that, OK, we might even uh, grow too fast for people to accommodate to that growth. Uh, Cevix is in a similar position. Uh, we were, by the time I was interviewed, there were 40 people. And by the time I joined, there were 80. And it's currently, I think, 90-something. So, uh, and in the beginning, it uh, it was not a, a very well-shaped structure. So, uh, gradually, as the team, uh, team grew uh, and we uh, found out what the areas are, we started shaping uh, the different domain areas like financing, like uh, accounts, like payments. Uh, what we see as an approach for gradually uh, scaling it is that we break down apart when the team becomes too big. That's one technique that we use is that when the team becomes too big, uh, that they are handling too many responsibilities, we just break them apart into smaller teams and they do tend to keep that feeling of a small compact unit, like you mentioned, Ricard, around the uh, the deliveries, and they're still responsible for the area they were mostly engaging with. So uh, this uh, this also helps with uh, creating more career opportunities uh, on the on the development path. But uh, it has been a good practice so far to uh, keep uh, whenever the team or the both the, the size number of uh, of uh, team members and the responsibilities counted in uh, number of capabilities or applications that we handle or services uh, grows uh, then we tend to break apart and fill in that's how the growth actually fits in so okay we recognize which uh, sub team can uh, benefit from having additional help and slowly filling it up there but uh, I, I would put the emphasis on the control growth uh, as we've seen, it, it just adding people doesn't always uh, add up uh, and doesn't mean uh, linearly, uh, yeah, better, better outcome of the product. Very, very good. Uh, that's actually something we did uh, right now at the place I'm at, at now. Uh, we sort of uh, kept the, the recruiting plan a bit, uh, so it was m much more planned and the, the roles were more defined. So that's something we have done now. Uh, one other thing that I've learned is um, when you're expanding, you you got all these uh, roles, uh, uh, needs for roles coming in. Um, put those roles out internally first, so that the people who wants to grow uh, moves within the organization and not outside the organization. That's uh, that's one important thing also. Um, yeah. So anyone have anything more to add to that? Yeah. Okay. So thank you for some great advices. Um, I'm. Uh, the next subject is a bit abstract, uh, but it's I've worked a lot with culture uh, in teams, and uh, especially during the pandemic now. 
it's been really, really hard to sort of uh, get that uh, team building uh, going. <laughs> but also, so, how, how do you build a strong culture, especially when you're working with people from different parts of the world? Uh, I've mainly worked with uh, people from Sweden, but I've had a, a, a one part of a team uh, in Hanoi, Vietnam, for example. So how, how do you sort of build the team spirit uh, because the, cu the culture is everything from when it's okay to come in in the mornings to w what do you do on team buildings and how do you talk to each other and how, how do you talk about uh, failure, for example, all that. So do you have any, I don't have a, you know, like a, a, um, a perfect answer for this at all, but I was really more in uh, uh, curious on if you have any experience in this, you guys, Alexandra. Yeah, um, experience or uh, <laughs> or another way, actually the failure, because yeah. I, I do believe that, um, uh, yeah, I, I, I used to work with a couple of distributed teams and I, um, I must say that I really notice um, that the engagement level is getting lower. Um, especially if you um, if you have any like a big project that you really need to approach. Um, I feel like you still like I seriously haven't found a way um, to, to, to make it productive while being distributed. Um, I'm very I'm very honest and also right now um, while like um, when, when I look for place that where I want to work, I want to work actually with people who, who appreciate this working on site rather than being remote. But then, of course, in the in um, in real world, it's not always uh, possible. Um, so uh, right now, how the organization I work in, we have two offices, uh, Swedish and uh, Polish. Um, and my developers, most of my developers sit in Poland. Um, and um, what we try to uh, tr to do um, there is like we have this country manager um, role uh, in Poland that uh, I um, I think is crucial. And his other role is also VP engineering. Uh, so he's really close to uh, to everyone. And and he's playing a, a, a tremendous role in, in creating right culture uh, there on site so that if people don't feel... Um, People don't feel excluded. People still like people still uh, feel that they belong uh, to to a place, even though most of them still like prefer working remotely. Um, so I would say that, uh, but still he's sort of like responsible for like arranging different activities, like um, like making it making it home <laughs> over there. But I, I I still must tell you that meeting face to face and um, like really being on site and like. It's it's still like it's a ma still magic that I I haven't found a way to to replace and I don't think that I want to replace <laughs> where I am and, and and where I strive for, so that's how I how I see a moment. I don't know yeah. about Boyan. Yeah, I think that uh, you touched on a very important point here. I believe that um, and I've experienced it myself. I mean, uh, I've worked in um, uh, set up with at least four countries. Uh, local leadership is crucial. Uh, that gives the autonomy of the of the entire unit to make decisions, uh, though it requires a certain level of trust. So first, gaining the trust with the local leadership will take some time. Of course, uh, it will be doubted, and um, uh, there's some proving to be to be done. But once this trust is established, uh, I believe that the uh, more autonomous the local leadership is, uh, the more uh, the more uh, the team will feel as part of the overall unit because we have different cultural uh, backgrounds. Uh, that's very important to to uh, to grasp because uh, what works in Hanoi doesn't work in Sweden, doesn't work in Macedonia so, or Poland. So uh, that's why that le local leadership can actually uh, focus on the strong side uh, over there. And uh, we had a, a curious example with with uh, between uh, Macedonia and Bulgaria neighboring countries. Uh, what helped was when uh, we combined two, two units there, but uh, not combined them directly, rather uh, smaller sub-teams uh, with representatives from both countries. So they were in the beginning uh, collaborating together, uh, and they were, not two, they were not two separate units, but rather uh, we matched them to work with two pairs of uh, on each side. Uh, that actually brought them quite close together, 
after some time that worked for a couple of weeks after they, they felt uh, that the trust is there, you know, even on the engineering level, uh, there was some kind of doubt in the implementation details around. But when they started working closely together, uh, they gained the trust, of course. And um, when moving away, uh, it was uh, accompanied by several meets in person, which definitely helped. I mean, off, uh, off hours, uh, spending some time out, spending some uh, activities together, uh, brought people closer together. And that uh, that was the point where moving in their own uh, areas uh, made them feel better uh, about, about being part of the unit. So occasional check-ins together and working in, in uh, pairs in the beginning uh, definitely helped. But I agree, I mean, there's no replacement for for in-person in person collaboration. Even now with uh, the remote work, uh, we couldn't find a suitable replacement for a whiteboard. Uh, I mean, let's start from there. Just uh, more than three people on a workshop basically doesn't work, I have to say. Sorry. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, meeting in office uh, face-to-face, uh, that's it's not much they can replace that. Um, we have a strategy uh, that is uh, creating an office that you want to work from, you want to come in. It's uh, it's up to you. It's up to everyone. You can work home as much as you want, but we want you to want to work there at least three days a week or something. So that has been a successful strategy so far. Um, thank you. And the, the last one um, from me, how do you best take on a new team as their manager? And, and uh, have you had any experience on uh, what to do and what to avoid? I would say definitely in the beginning, listen, don't talk. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a safe, safe advice uh, in the beginning um, because uh, I've joined several new teams um, and um, it's always important to learn the history. Uh, it, it, it trails back to the, to the uh, decisions in the point of time when they were made and uh, it's getting to know the people first. So as a do, I would say get to know the team uh, as closely as possible uh, on, on, on how they operate, uh, what do they expect from the team and from the from the organization itself? And what do they see as um, uh, curious? And you would be surprised if you ask them on a uh, one-to-one basis, but what would you improve? Like yeah. they always have ideas on things that uh, would improve. And sometimes it's a recurring theme uh, from multiple people. It's, yeah, uh, it, for some strange reason, uh, we have different personalities, different characters. Uh, it's always easier to, to uh, let go of things uh, when in a closed, safe zone, uh, safe space uh, to discuss people. Uh, although, as uh, we mentioned in the beginning, it's uh, never about giving the negative feedback just for the purpose of pointing fingers, but rather to learn from it. Still, uh, depending where you are on your seniority scale, you might tend to just hide saying, oh, uh, I don't want to be pointed at. Uh, it will um, it will affect me negatively. But uh, in this closed, confined trust space, people tend to open up, uh, which I really like. And that's where you learn the most about the, the down, downfalls of the of the setup. People usually have ideas on how to improve. And that has been an excellent starting point, at least for me on how to start uh, in the very beginning. Yeah, mm-hmm. great, uh, great stuff there. Uh, listen, don't talk. I think that sums it up pretty good because that's really, really important. You can't just come in on a team and start to point fingers and uh, tell people what to do and this is what I'm going to do now and this is how you're going to work. Listen yep. in and see what works and uh, what what things can be developed. And uh, I actually have learned that on, uh, on my own skin, basically. I've, uh, in my very early days, I've done it not as a leader or as a manager, but rather as a new, uh, more senior colleague and saying, oh, but um, I know my tool set, I know my Java and I can fix things. But it's okay, you, you're missing the context, especially that you're coming to, an, to, a, to a phase in the project without knowing the previous phases and that has impact. So yeah, just... Yeah. Uh, chill for a bit and uh, you'll get your chance yeah be humble about it yeah, yeah exactly mm. yeah i have uh, one thing to add here like i i really like what you said like meeting one-on-one uh, I, I do believe that in order to build like strong relationship with the people you really need to take time to to uh, to learn to like get to know them um, on one-on-one basis and uh, really try to build a relationship over time 
Um, and especially in the beginning, when we are, uh, are getting to know our team members, I think it's important to understanding what is motivating them. But also, um, already from the beginning, um, try to uh, identify the strengths of the person, not only um, not only the strengths that the person is clearly communicating to you, but also like having some assumptions of what this person might be good at that the person does not yet know. And uh, through the time that you are leading and um, coaching the person, um, yeah, trying to, to, to challenge uh, their own assumptions about their strengths and pushing them their limits and pushing it towards something something else and maybe suggesting um suggesting oh maybe you should explore this area um of, of your of your of your strengths that i recognize about you uh, that maybe you do not know and and uh, and you know take a little for example for developers take a little larger um uh, responsibility uh, for example, do this tech discovery, or uh, would you like to present this um, this business um, this business case to 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 um, to our stakeholders? Um, so I'm like I'm I'm really um, a fan of um, giving like at least temporarily and and giving these responsibilities and and allowing uh, creating an environment for people to try themselves um, in different situations. Very good. Thank you so much. Uh, I have so much to think about now. Um, that was my three areas. Um, and uh, over to you, Bojan. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and I mean, uh, I had, uh, think the final topic I would like to cover with uh, having your input as well, guys, is that uh, based on my personal experience being uh, appointed a leader or a, a manager, uh, you do tend to bring some of your previous uh, experience on board. And um, uh, what I'm really interested into is how have you managed to uh, focus on the overall bigger picture of things rather than uh, being uh, hands-on with the solution because in the beginning for me uh, I was in a situation or multiple situations where uh, just seeing how the um, my team members struggle with things uh, I felt like if I just jump in I can solve this uh, and help them help them help me help the the uh, company as well but uh, in the beginning, uh, it required some training to, to get detached uh, and actually let people uh, learn with mistakes uh, and progress forward and just potentially ask the right questions. But it was a learning curve and it's heavily affected by the type of managers that I've had in the past. Some of them were micromanagers, some of them were very high level, uh, just wanted to receive a monthly updates. So my, my takeaway is that uh, first of all, it's uh, influenced by the type of management you had uh, on top of you, but then it's also a interesting uh, learning path how to get detached from uh, yeah uh, skipping that curve and actually leading instead of um, doing it for them. Have you had any similar experience? Uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> I've started out uh, as an engineer and then got into leading engineers and uh, going in that path, I sort of had really hard time letting go, just fixing all the problems that came by. Um, but uh, pre pretty soon I realized that that's not ever going to work for me because I can't do the development and the leading. So what I did was that I actually decided that I'm not going to do a single thing. I'm not going to be operational at all. I'm just going to lead the people. I'm going to help them develop, but I'm not going to do anything about any of the problems that arises of the product that was back then. And that was a really good decision because uh, First, I thought I got the feeling, a strong feeling of that I didn't do anything, of course, because uh, I had to let go of the work that I've known for like 10 years. But uh, later I, I realized that I could build a really, a, a very strong team and the team members really developed a lot faster by doing themselves, they're doing the stuff themselves. Uh, but, it, but it is a really hard decision and it's even harder to, to actually follow through with it. Uh, because uh, you have an urge sort of uh, helping. The same thing applies to your kids and everything. Just let them do stuff. You, don't do everything for them. The same thing applies uh, for, for people in an engineering group and uh, other areas as well. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, re I hear what you're saying and it was really hard. Uh, and also it ties with the uh, fact that uh, there are deadlines, there's pressure to deliver and you are the, uh, the one holding the responsibility for it. And yeah. <laughs> It, it makes it even harder. But also, I also started to focusing on uh, hiring 
people better than me at the job. So I actually I can't even now do anything about the problem that comes. That's that's also a good thing. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's fantastic. Uh, something to add from myself. Um, I would say I usually try to be there for the team and help whenever they need. And I'm not I don't have any problems with getting hands on. I trust I don't have any problems to, with like with trusting people. I do trust my, my team. But whenever like either it's a capacity uh, thing, uh, you know, and hard deadlines or it can be um, on it be that that maybe they are not yet comfortable with that skills and like of course as you say like we have hard deadlines we need to pursue um yeah i i don't mind you know I'm, i don't mind going deeper if they need me but i want them to decide whenever it's needed and uh, i i like you know really do not uh, do not micro uh, manage and of course as as uh, now you said Riket, it's all uh, about like if you are actually able to because you <laughs> sometimes uh, people are like yeah you, do, you like the skills actually to to, to help uh, somewhere yeah uh, and i think that uh, the fact that uh, for for uh, especially for more junior uh, colleagues it's our responsibility to 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 help them grow and uh, giving tasks that are a bit more challenging that they can handle is actually a good exercise. But in those areas, at least the balance I've uh, found so far is that um, my engagement is to the level of asking them the right questions. So if you uh, ask them the right questions uh, for, for uh, in, in the very beginning, it's just dark waters ahead of them. But if you ask the right questions, at least they know the right direction. So they're like, oh, yeah, let me think about it and I'll get back to you. And uh, one of the rules I have is that, yeah, just uh, whenever you want to ask me something that you're totally unclear about is come up with th three proposals. So just how, however crazy they sound, some of them might be unfeasible, some of them might be wishful thinking, but uh, come up with three things uh, and then we'll see. And usually they figure it out on their own. So just asking that question is at least for me the right balance on how to how to help them out uh going forward yeah, one one thing i've struggled with uh, with my sort of uh non operational leadership is that uh the the engineers in uh, in my situation uh, needs to have someone to give them uh, quality feedback on their work and i'm not there working with them so i can't really you know give them that sort of feedback that they really need so you need to fill up your role as a tech lead with a tech lead or some someone around them to feedback on their work because i can't do that anymore on a technical level that's something to 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 remember when, when you're stepping out mm. yeah and this is exactly what we do as well um this part of uh, leading developers is outsourced actually to tech lead. Um, and uh, tech lead is also taking a role of a coach uh, whenever needed. Yeah. Great. Well, great. That's great input. Uh, interesting to hear the thoughts. It's always a, a challenging topic, I would say. Uh, and it always, yeah, it's always a, a, a difficult to strike the right balance. But um, yeah, uh, we all try. Yeah, and this is a topic that has uh, different truths uh, next year. So, I yep. mean, you, you can't sort of agree on something now that works uh, in a year or two, or maybe even a half a year. It depends on what happens. So it's a really, really, really interesting topic. And I can talk about this all day long. <laughs> Amazing. Perfect. And we'll leave it there. So this has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. I want to take this opportunity to thank Boyan, Rickard and Alexandra for providing insights into the topic. And thank you for listening. If you'd like to get involved in our world podcasts, um, reach out to me on LinkedIn or by my email, luxy at evolution-nordics.com. See you next time.